0: Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au.
1: A reading from Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seventy years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, we look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make our requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, The man I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him.
0: It was a day that my wife and I were looking forward to for a long time, a day off from a busy parish life and a time to go away for a few hours, browse some shops and have a coffee together. We decided to drive to a large regional shopping centre just some kilometres away, and as we drove, we came across a bank up of traffic, and we soon discovered that the reason for the hold-up was there as a car on fire on the side of the road. It seemed, as we passed, that the owner had everything under control. He was running to a truck to presumably look for a fire extinguisher. So we drove on and forgot all about it. But later on that day, as we got into the car to drove home, we heard on the radio uh, of a fire in a car in a local area in which three young children had died. Their father had stopped to help another driver with a flat tyre, and as he finished, he turned around and saw his car was burning, his children crying out to him, and there was little he could do. And as we heard this awful news report, Glenda and I realised we'd driven past the man's car just at that moment. We thought of the children, we thought of our own children, and we felt physically sick. And I remember thinking of the cries of those children and the father's horrified look and crying out to the Lord, why? Why, Lord, why children so young and helpless? And then came the cry that countless others have echoed over the years, how much longer, O Lord? How much longer before you put an end to this broken world in which evil always seems to rule? How long before you put a stop to it all? Now, as we come to this chapter from Daniel, it seems to me this was his cry all those centuries ago. In the previous chapter, chapter 8, Daniel has seen a terrible vision of the future evil that will confront his people. So much so that the last verses of Daniel 8 is, I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. And as the wheels of history turned to this moment for Daniel, his cry becomes that of the angel back in chapter 8 again, who cried out when he saw the vision how long will it take the vision to be fulfilled? And I think in today's passage we see a bit of an answer that God gives to the cry of Daniel and our cry, the cry of our broken world, how long, O Lord? So let's look at this this passage under three headings for you. Uh, Firstly, verses 1 to 3, the books that speak. Verses 4 to 19, the man who prayed. And verses 20 to 27, the God who acts. So first of all, the books that speak. Look at verses 1 to 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, a Med by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth, and ashes. So here we see Daniel at a critical time in the history of the Jews in exile. It's the first year of the Persian Empire, 539 BC. Daniel, by this stage, is an old man. He's lived under the reign of two kings, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who took the Israelites into exile and destroyed their city and their land. And then Belshazzar, the last of the Babylonian kings, the one who you might recall refused to honour God by abusing the sacred vessels he'd taken from the temple and just had a party with them and got drunk. And now he's living under a third king, under the reign of Darius, also known as Cyrus, the Persian king who overthrew the Babylonians, as I said, in 539 BC. And I'm thinking for Daniel and his friends, the question is, is this a time to celebrate? Yay, we've been, you know, a new king got rid of those Babylonians Or actually, is it a time to mourn because this new empire might be even worse than the other one? How long, oh, Lord, before you sort this out for us? And so we see Daniel in these verses, pondering and meditating on the scriptures to see what God has to say about it. Lord, can I get some understanding about where we're heading He needed to remind himself uh, and we need to remind ourselves how important the Scriptures had become to the Jews. They no longer had a temple. Uh, the city of Jerusalem destroyed. All they had was themselves in Babylon gathering together as we are today, but they had the sacred Scriptures. The sacred Scriptures which became to them as they are for us their means for contact with God. They might face Jerusalem and pray to Jerusalem, but this is where God is speaking to them, in his word as they gathered. And Daniel kept on doing that. He knew it was only through reading the scriptures and studying them that he could find out the purposes of God for his people. He comes to the book of Jeremiah and he reads there what seems to be God's timeline. Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you've not listened to my words, oh, you sinful people, Israel, your country will become desolate and you'll serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And then chapter 29, verse 10 in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come for you and fulfil my good promise. Then I will bring you back to this place. Now, Daniel would have seen in these two verses two great truths. One, what had happened to his people long ago, 70 years before, when they'd been taken into exile, was deserved. They had turned their back on God and this was their punishment. But secondly, he would have seen that God indeed was a God of grace and mercy. The time of chastisement would come to a completion, The land had served its purposes, had done its Sabbath period of 70 years and now he would bring his people back to the land. He would return them. So having understood that if their punishment had come from the Lord, therefore it's only from the Lord that their restoration and return would come. Forgiveness would only come from him. Daniel does what we all would do. He prays. It seems to me Daniel's in this funny in-between period. The Exile was a sort of an in-between period for God's people. And we have this in life. We have these in-between periods. We start something with great gusto. Something happens. There's a bit of destabilisation. And we we have this period of discontent or whatever and then we'll return. And sometimes I think we are often in in in-between times in life. I'm looking around the room, I've spoken to a number of you over the last few weeks who are in this in-between period, a little bit of a mini exile for you perhaps. You're not sure what the future will hold. You look at, you you started the college with great vision and great gusto, and now you're in this sort of period of in-betweenness, this liminal period, you're saying, what will I be doing next? Well, if that's you, and it's often me, we could do far worse than do what Daniel did. Study the word, respond in prayer. I remember Bishop Alf Stanway, the great CMS missionary. Uh, We've got four bishops named... uh, We've got four places named after bishops. Who can name them? The oldest one is? Ridley. Bishop Ridley. We're named after Bishop Ridley. The second bishop is? Bishop Perry. This room is the Perry Chapel, the first bishop of Melbourne. The third one in terms of chronology is Bishop Stanway who was the Bishop of Tanzania, a great CMS uh, missionary, who grew a huge number of churches as a missionary bishop back in the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s. And lastly, Bishop Barbara Darling, the first woman to be ordained a bishop in the Diocese of Melbourne. Well, let's focus on Bishop Stanworth. Uh, He was a missionary in Tanzania. He became the vice principal here for a number of years. And then when he was ought to be retired, what does he do? He's called to go to start a seminary in America an evangelical Anglican seminary in America. And when asked, how can you keep on doing all this, his response was always the same. Pray last, get nowhere fast. Pray last, you'll get nowhere fast. And I think of myself under times of pressure, and I think of ourselves here under times of pressure, we so often run around trying to solve our own problems and we end up going around in circles on on issues. And finally, it twigs to you, oh, I haven't prayed about it, I haven't gone to God and earnestly prayed about it, and seek his way. Well, this is what I think Daniel does and what we are reminded to do here, to come to the Lord, look at his word and pray. So the man who prays, verses 4 to 19. Look at the first couple of words. We don't do the whole prayer. Look at the first couple of verses. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed... Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name. Notice in these verses, to whom Daniel prays. Daniel's faced with a big problem. How can my people, a sinful people, return to the place of promise? How can we get God's forgiveness for all that we've done? He's faced with a big problem. And when you're faced with a big problem, what do you need? A big God to help us with a big problem. Oh, Lord, you are the great and awesome God who keeps your covenant. Prayers are shaped in a Godward direction as we remember to whom we are praying. Note, secondly, how Daniel prays. He doesn't just stand apart from his people, but he identifies with his people. He says, we have sinned, verse five, and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws and so forth. Daniel prays in solidarity with his people. We do that in chapel. We just had a confession. We, 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 Lord, have prayed. It's a corporate, not just me, it's a corporate prayer as we come to God. We mustn't pray, have mercy on them, Lord, but also have mercy on us, Lord. And note thirdly what Daniel prays. It's a prayer of humility and confession of sin. He doesn't try to paper over the cracks. He doesn't pretend everything is well. He pulls no punches but gives a devastating critique of his situation. Lord, uh, you told us your words through the prophets many years and we just rejected every single one of them. We deserve to be sent away. Uh, Daniel knows that even if King Darius or Cyrus restores them back to the land, there's a deeper issue that the people of God need to confront, namely their own need for inner restoration and forgiveness. If Israel is to be used by God for his glory, then they need to have some inner work to be done on them. So what does Daniel do? He pleads to God to act. And did you notice in the last couple of verses the passion of his prayer? Verse verse 17, Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes. He's crying to God. See the desolation of the city that bears your name. We're not making requests because we're righteous, Lord. We know how unrighteous we are. But only because of your great mercy can we do this. We can't offer anything to you. You have to be merciful, Lord, to do this. You need to deal with our shame, Lord. You need to sort this out. You you put your name upon this city. It bears your name, your reputation. Lord, only you can sort this out, he says. So verse 19, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, don't delay, for the city and your people bear your name. Friends, imagine if the church today prayed in this sort of way Sunday by Sunday. Lord, restore the honour of your name in our land, in our city in our neighbourhood Lord we need you to act please act church historians tell us that every great revival started with repentance with God's people humbling themselves before him confessing their sins and waiting upon the Lord and only then God acts Like every church, uh, my own church, where I uh, currently work, but I've been a parishioner there at St John's West Brunswick, has had a tough time in the last two years. We've seen numbers drop and offerings have slowed down. And about this time last year, the vicar called us all to a month of prayer and confession and repentance. Every week we're given set readings to follow, and then we gathered weekly by Zoom to pray together. For me, it was a personal t- turning point because as we prayed, I realised I've been carrying a critical spirit through this lockdown period. I've been looking at our lousy Zoom, uh, our, you know, our worship services on Zoom, that, that could do better than that. Um, and I needed to uh, deal with myself. Rather than supporting the church leadership, here's Richard, electorate at Ridley, Sort of just holding back a bit in judgment. And for me, recognizing that through this time of repentance became a turning point. Uh, I realized I could not pray for a fresh start for our church until I prayed it for myself. Basically, I needed to repent. And I did. And over those weeks, others did. And we began to see a change in our church as people named out loud their sins of discontent, unforgiveness and hardness of heart. Twelve months later, no instant revival, but we're beginning to see some fresh shoots emerging within the congregation. There's been some reconciliation. People who weren't willing to have communion with each other have begun to be reconciled. There's a fresh willingness for people to step into the, fill in the gaps of people who'd left in discontent and others are rising up. There's a sense of hope for the future. This is what we need, friends, in our churches. Listen to what Daniel, uh, what Peter, the Apostle Peter, says in his first letter to the Christians. He writes to these Christians, uh, he says, uh, the people who are in exile. You're in exile, you Christians, in Peter's time, Okay. They're not too dissimilar to Daniel. He writes to them from Babylon, he says, at the end of the book. So he's thinking of them as people of exile in exile. How are you going to handle your exile, he says? How are we going to handle our exile in our land in our present day, perhaps? Peter says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Humble yourself. Why? That he might lift you up. In due time, he's going to lift you up, In believe, in his due time. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Now, that's a message for us, isn't it? Humble ourselves. He will lift us up in due time as a church in this nation, perhaps. But it's his timing. Our job is to humble ourselves and cast our cares upon him. Well, let's look at the final section of this passage, the books that speak... The man who prayed finally, the God who acts. Verses 20 to 27. While I was speaking and praying, verse 20, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in chapter 8 in the previous vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said, "'You've been asking for understanding, Daniel?' I'm now going to give you the insight and understanding you've been looking for. For as soon as you prayed, a word went out which I've come to tell you for your highly esteem. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. I'm about to give you the answer to your question, Daniel. I remember a number of years ago preaching on this very passage in a church in London and receiving from my mother a fax the day before. Yes, a fax. That's how old I am, for <laughs> But my mother had been, you know, following the sermon outlines, oh, Richard's coming up to preach, I'd better pray for him and read the passage, and the fact said, I read through Daniel 9 on which you are preaching this coming Sunday. The first half was reasonable, but when I got to the sevens, I was completely lost. I think I'd be skipping around that bit if I was you. (laughs) Friends most preachers do actually (laughs) except the preachers that love to get their numbers out and do some amazing stories about all these numbers okay they they, they preach long on these passages but for me do I do it but I'm not going to do it now uh that's tempting for despite the minefields in this passage which I know some of you have been wrestling with in an anti-jud assignment is that correct some of them have been doing that assignment on Daniel 9 uh you can tell me your interpretations later uh There's wonderful truth even in these last few verses. For we see in these verses God answers Daniel's prayer even before he's finished. Daniel knows the 70 years are just about up. Actually, it's 66 years. It's almost there, the 70 years. But rather than sit back and rejoice at the prospect of return, he wrestles in his prayer through forgiveness and asking God to be merciful. And Gabriel says, here's your answer. Verse 24. Seventy sevens or we might say 70 weeks of sevens, 70 weeks of years, 490 years, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place or the most holy one. Now, what the angel seems to be saying to Daniel is something like this, Daniel, your focus is too small. You're thinking in terms of God's purposes over 70 years, but I want you to focus not on 70 years, but 70 weeks of years. Yes, Daniel, just around the corner, your 70 years of exile will be up and you'll return to the land. But don't think that's the end of what the matter, what God has to do with this big issue of sin. For an even greater event will happen in seven times 70 years, not just when God's sinful people have moved back to the land, but an event that deal with the problem that caused it in the first place. And what is decreed, look at the finality of the words, transgressions will be finished. Sin will be dealt with, be put to an end. Wickedness Atoned for. Righteousness will shine. All the visions and prophecies of the Old Testament will be fulfilled. And the most holy place or the most holy one will be anointed for the Lord. What a breathtaking picture. And surely, as we look back, Daniel might not have had it worked out what was going on, but as we look back, we see see here a picture of what occurred in the life death and resurrection of Jesus. It's there that the sins of Israel that caused them to be sent into exile for the first place and indeed the sins of the whole world were dealt with. It's there that you hear, we hear the words, it is finished. And the shame that God's people had brought upon God in Daniel's time and the shame that we as a church today have brought upon God's name in our own nation in so many ways, is taken upon Jesus in his own flesh. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? God made him who had no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He is the anointed one. Peter's climactic response to Jesus' question, who do men say I am? Yeah, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. I can see that. Now, it's possible to spend many hours adding up the numbers from this section. Feel free to do it. Some of you have been doing it. And try to align it with Jewish history from the 6th century BC through to the 1st century AD. And there's lots of interesting views, different perspectives but it seems to me that we can go down a rabbit hole and the numbers and the dates are not the most fundamental point of these verses, for the verses are more about theology than chronology. What's of ultimate importance is that God is promising Daniel and is promising us that the time will come, we'll say has come, when God's answer to the how long has been given. It's in the person of Jesus where sin is dealt with. Evil is defeated. Our future is secured. I'm not sure how many of you got to see the Queen's funeral last night. (laughs) It's a very long service. It was a beautiful service in so many ways. How powerful to see last night. This message ring out in that service. The world's leaders... Dignitaries from every nation, billions of people hearing the answer to Daniel's cry and our cry of how long? These words Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a gospel message to go forth last night. Lord, may people have had ears to hear that wonderful truth. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, I'm sure in this room many of us have cried out that question or that plea, How long? Lord, on a smaller front, some of us might be praying it for ourselves, Lord. I'm not too sure where I'm heading. I'm feeling a bit stuck, a bit anxious about the future. Help us, Lord, from this passage to turn back to the one who has promised to make all things new, who through the cross has defeated that which defeats us and gives us fresh hope and fresh life to balance the challenges of this world. So I pray for each person here today that there be a fresh, you speak to us in a fresh way, You'd give us courage to move forward day by day, ever trusting in you as the God of all greatness and the God who keeps his covenant with us. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.